This is the Becoming Educated podcast. Our mission is to inform educators, challenge their thinking, and inspire them to teach with joy. So on the Becoming Educated podcast today, I am joined by Howell Roberts. Howell has been a teacher for over 25 years, teaching both secondary drama and English in our schools. Howell is an expert in showing us how to bring learning to life, which is evident in his brilliant book, Oops, Helping Children Learn Accidentally, which we will explore today. Howell is one of the most in-demand educational speakers, and it is a privilege to have him on the Becoming Educated podcast. Howell, thank you so much for joining me. Hey up, Darren. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's it's um yeah. Well, it's I'm I'm all right. I'm sitting. I'm in the house a lot at the moment. I don't know about you. Oh, I've I've not left my house for for two weeks now. My my good lady showed some symptoms, so we've just been stuck in the house, and and I've been trying to just get on with uh, some online learning and, and and trying to enjoy my house a little bit more. It's 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 a it's a strange strange old time we're living in, but um I think it's getting us all. It's given us all who work in education certainly pause for thought. I think. It certainly is, and, and it's it's uh, a good time for us to to learn and reflect, and and hopefully for some people listen to this podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah, I hope so. Well, just to just to kick us off, how could you could you start by sharing a little bit about you and your career to date? Yeah, um, I, I I'm a, I still label myself up as a as a teacher. I identify as a teacher, um, although I don't teach full-time in any schools anymore. Uh, I taught full-time for 16 years in secondary. Um, I taught English, uh, drama, uh, media studies, that was a good one. Uh, dance, that was quite a difficult year for me. And <laughs> and a variety of things. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I worked in a, a town called Barnsley in South Yorkshire, um, which was just a great a great place to be professionally brought up, if you like. And I, as it happens, I still do. I still keep me, if you like, my finger in the pie of that town. I still do some work in and around that town. Um, yes, I, I, I've I've been very lucky. I've I've, um, I've I've actually worked hard as well, as well as been lucky. And I find myself in a position now where I can work with teachers, work with schools, and. Uh, Work, work in classrooms with children. I, I do some live CPD where I'll go in, I'll work with children and teachers can watch me work with them. Um, doing a lot of that in special setting and also in primary now. That's that's the way it's sort of developed. Um, doing a lot on curriculum, which is a big kind of uh, subject area at the moment in Wales and in England. And it's, it always has been in Scotland. It's been an ongoing conversation in Scotland, hasn't it? So um, doing bits around that as well. So um, although I'm not a jack of all trades by any stretch, um, there's a lot of stuff I really don't know around education and that I'm still searching for the answers to. There's some stuff which I've I've learned to articulate now and I've been able to, you know, find find out where I sit on, on different on, on, on a variety of things. Certainly, education is one of those things that I don't think we'll ever ever get to the bottom of. Uh, the, the live CPD sounds sounds very very exciting. Can you share a little bit more about that? Oh, it it, it really came from um, the sort of I found myself doing hit and run inset. Uh, by hit and run, I mean I'd get paid to go into school for a morning, 
talk to them, make everyone feel all right. And, and I do like that. And, and, and I do like going into schools and doing that, I'll be honest with you. Um, I like being, a, you know, a bit of a being able to tell some funny stories about kids and teaching and stuff and people enjoy it and if that's if that's the purpose of the event and that's fine but um i do like to do some i mean a majority of my events now are going into a school doing that kind of thing but then basically practice what i preach show what i was talking about so you know part of what i talk about is around using stories and narratives in classrooms with children to build investment uh, in learning um, so I'll go model that then with um, a class of the teachers I've been talking to if that makes sense so it's kind of high risk CPD it's, I, 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 I say that it's CPD on steroids do you know what I mean it's it's like anything could happen and sometimes it does <laughs> it sounds very very brave um, so today we're going to going to chat a little bit about uh, a book you wrote in 2012 uh, oops yeah. helping children learn accidentally which which I, I read i read myself a while ago and thoroughly enjoyed and found myself coming back to recently as after i asked you to, you to come on and i really enjoyed it for the second time and took more out of it <laughs> so just to start with in the foreword to oops ian gilbert writes that good teachers are great liars what does he mean by that <laughs> I think he, um, I think that came from. You'd have to ask Ian. You should get him on your podcast. I think, uh, I think what he he meant there was um, part of, um, if you like, my pedagogy is 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 around building worlds and building narratives where, um, I suppose, the knowledge that we need to explore with our children, we can couch it inside this this world that we create um, inside this narrative that we form and to do that we need to get children to suspend their disbelief it's not it, it's not just drama it's 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 if you like it's it's a storyteller it's, it's going back to basics really it's sitting around the campfire and sharing beautiful tales with with children um, it sounds a bit grand and I don't mean it to um, but I think that's what Ian means it's, it's being that enthusiastic world maker um, where the world can be a fiction but actually it has its feet in the real world for example um, you know, in 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 the Oops book, I talk about um, the 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 Chilean mining disaster. I don't know if you you know you, your listeners will remember that as a world event. It was a real event. It was a true event, and it could have been a, an immensely tragic event. Um, and uh, I talk about that. But when I did that with children in class um in high with high school children we used that as our springboard and the narrative and the story and the world that we built was around a chilean community living near a mine and every every everybody in that community worked in a job that was connected with the mine so the mining disaster if you like had a huge impact on the community so you got your fictional world and your non-fiction your, your sort of real world and the kind of colliding together now am i a liar I don't think I don't think I'm telling lies. What I'm doing is trying to shine a torch on, you know, in that in that example, that was a high school in Doncaster where the mines that we thought about there were clo- had been closed for, you know, thirty years. So it it was kind of bringing the real world in. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Um, moving on to some of the ideas that came out of the book, and one that still exists today, this idea of botheredness. Yes. Um, could you share what botheredness means? 
Yeah, well, botheredness is just, uh, it's not a lazy word, although it was a word I, that just fell out of my head when I was writing Oops, because I didn't have the articulation that I needed to sum up um, unconditional positive regard, uh, authentic care, um, all these things that really have become part of our parlance now. Uh, back back in 2012 or 2011 when I was writing the book, it was, it was just about, I was trying to sum up what it was to be um, a teacher who was an effective teacher in a sense, but also beyond that, a transformative teacher. Uh, an effective teacher, if you like, is someone who can do it, do teaching. A transformative teacher is someone who does it and absolutely gets it and gets why they're doing it. And I think botheredness sits there. It's really interesting, Darren, because uh, the book I'm writing now is called Botheredness and I'm trying to get it. So I've managed now to expand this explanation across a few thousand words, you know, um, <laughs> And it's how do we build, botheredness isn't just for the adults as well, it's, it's how do we build botheredness with children? How do you get, how do you get a kid um, bothered about Romans, for example? I, I was trying to do that in a, in a pupil referral unit and a, a little boy called Daryl said to me, Mr. Roberts, why, why do we have to do Romans? They were ages ago. So <laughs> he was right, they are ages ago. So... What do we do about that? How do we get him, how do we get Daryl, bless him, bothered about Romans? And that's that That needs to be a, done by a teacher who absolutely gets it. I love that summation of, of what a transformative teacher is. And kind of moves us on now to, you wrote in the book that the act of botheredness is essential in motivating and engaging children. Kind of leading to what you said there about Daryl. So what do you mean by this and, and how does this translate into the act of teaching? Oh, I think <clears throat> I think if if we're not careful, um, we can start to think that teaching is is. I don't. Sorry, let me get this right in my head. I think that if we're not careful, teaching can be. Um, people will want us to sum up what teaching is on an A4 sheet. Right? What is it to be a teacher? Here's an A4 sheet. Can you sum it up? Now that's quite an interesting exercise. Um, it's, it's like asking a group of um, uh, trainee teachers, what is education for? Everyone's going to have different um, responses to that from, well, education is, is there to create a future workforce. Education is there to get children through exams successfully. Education is there to show children the wonders of the world. You know, there's lots of different responses. So... Um, when I when I say that botheredness is essential to motivating and engaging and engaging children, I'm saying that teaching as an act is one that can't be taken lightly. We've got it's it's we've got to be all in. We've got to be all in or not. And I speak as someone who was all in on a day to day basis with children I knew. I'm now all in. Um, in a different sense. I, that's why I still say, well, I am a teacher. This is what I do. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Once a, once a teacher, always a teacher. And I like that idea that's kind of threading through about being a transformative teacher and being all in. Um, you wrote about drains and radiators in reference to teachers. Could you share a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think this is one of those examples of the time that when I wrote the book, I was coming off the back of working in... Um, 
as I say, in a brilliant school, a secondary school in Barnsley, a hard school in some ways, a hard working school, definitely. Um, I would suggest that, um, you know, and I, and I did find this when I was I started freelancing and doing work for myself, um, that there were some people who it just seemed to me that they were teachers and yet they they hated children you know they didn't like children very much it was, it was like wow that's that's really amazing because and I come from a family of teachers and I know some of your listeners will as well um and you know my my father was a brilliant teacher he was fairly grumpy about stuff but he was a big trade unionist he was uh, a and, and he is definitely someone who I would describe as a radiator someone who was um someone who would um who exuded enthusiasm about about the job and about the children he worked with what i find or what i found it's less so now what i found would be um colleagues who would just be moaning all the time and would be quite um for whatever reason i've now got a better understanding because i'm older because i've got more experience school to school i've visited thousands of schools since i wrote the book um, I understand that though some some people might be moaning and might be um, a bit down on kids and stuff like that, they've, some of them have really good reason to because actually they've got themselves stuck in a rut. They've got themselves trapped, if you like, in a what Martin Haberman would call a pedagogy of poverty. You know, they've, they've forgotten about the richness of what they do. That's it's great. It kind of goes back. Gavin Oates mentioned talks about Mary Poppins and Mr Banks and teaching it's kind of the same same analogy so it's a good thread running through the, the podcast that I've got uh, moving on in the book you encourage teachers and school leaders to set out a brave new curriculum could you tell us more about what that is and what the acronym stands for well what I was saying um, when I was again when I was writing the book it was um, this was on the back of us doing at my school doing a lot of curriculum innovation Stuff that I still go back to now when I'm working with schools. Um, the big conversation at the moment in, in Wales, for example, and uh, I don't know how, how much you, your listeners, is, have, uh, or how, if you've got a big listenership in Wales, but there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. And really, I wanted, to, it, with the idea of a brave curriculum, it was just a bit of a catch-all on what we were trying to do at my school which was build a curriculum that the children would buy into. We had a lot of streetwise children at my school, but not many uh, worldwide children, you know, so a, a significant number of the children in, in the year groups, they their aspirations didn't really go beyond the town. And, you know, as for, for teachers, that can feel a, a bit depressing, unless you've given up. You know, unless as a teacher you've just given up and you think, well, this is just the way it is. I remember sitting with um, an, a colleague teacher who taught English, who I looked up to and was a, a, I really liked. But I remember her saying, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And I just thought, wow, that's that's just we've just given up. If that's our starting point, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Then I, 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 would, I was starting to question it, uh, you know, much younger than I am now, I was starting to question what am I doing this for? Um, but the, so the, the idea of the acronym, if you like, I was thinking that, uh, I, well, I started with RAVE. I thought that was a pretty on-message um, <laughs> acronym for a lad from Manchester. Uh, make it relevant. Is our curriculum relevant? Is it academic? And I suppose academic by that I mean is it got is it knowledge driven and so on? 
uh, vocational? Is it going to be useful for them, uh, for children, f- to move forward and to move on? Um, is it going to build aspiration for a future role, for a future job, for um, a future life? And evaluatory, um, can we can we make it an organic curriculum, something that we can, as teachers, we can manage, chop and change as we're delivering it? Can we have ownership over it and not just have it given to us in a folder, you know, or in a PowerPoint? Um, so I had this rave curriculum and then I thought more about being from Manchester. So I added the B and the B is a bit of a joke, really, Darren. It was just, is it buzzing? Is it a buzzing curriculum? Is it something that we're, we're tending to like a garden? Is it something we're growing and looking after? Or is it just something we're going to knock into place and it's going to stay there for the next 15 years on our website? <laughs> it's a great, great, great analogy there. No, I think it, we definitely need to make our, our curriculum buzzing for, for the children. I like how you had vocational in there because that's very current in Scotland and I know it is in, in Wales as well and the, the, we yep. need to have a, a knowledge driven curriculum that actually makes sense to the children so that they do buy in and it, it is buzzing for the for the staff and the children and they get the most out of it so that's, that's a great analogy to for anyone that's thinking about their curriculum currently um, so you said that you advise to make learning relevant to children so how do how do we actually make learning relevant to children well, I, I mean, I'm sure you could get other people on the podcast who will say that this doesn't matter, and that, and that's absolutely fine. However, my the work I've done, um, for example, in specialist units, in, in pupil referral units in England, um, we absolutely have to make it matter to the, to the children in the room. There's no point in going in there with um, playtexts of Macbeth and just go in there and just say, right, we're doing Macbeth, because all you're going to have is, is um, well, you know, I'm suggesting what you might have is, is some children will not buy in. Now, how do we make Macbeth relevant? Well, what we can do and what, what I have done is, is look at Shakespeare thematically and say, right, okay, what are the themes of, of Shakespeare, of, of Shakespeare's Macbeth, for example? And we, with a class, we looked at disappointing men. <laughs> we, looked at, we looked at Lance Armstrong, you know, as a kind of hero who'd fallen from grace, you know? We looked at um, Sepp Blatter. I don't know if you remember him. He used to run for uh, corrupt, again, someone in a position of authority who's behaved badly so there's something there about behavior as well which is quite apt in a pupil referral unit and so we go thematically into Macbeth um, so rather than just dive into Macbeth and dress up as witches for act one scene one which the kids would probably quite like but the novelty would wear off we go in thematically and and sort of make it we, we, we then start reading the play and hark back to the work that we've done around those two sort of contemporary characters, real people, of course. And it makes it makes the play and its themes a little bit more relevant. I mean, I've summed it up very quickly there. But I think that relevance, it, it, it's, it's not about doing, you know, just because... I, I remember, you may remember this, Darren, you know... <sighs> There was a big push on creativity in English schools in around about 2002, 2001, 2002, uh, maybe a bit later. And then suddenly I was being instructed to do more raps 
you know, because the Fresh Prince was on the telly all the time. So we had to do more. You know, we were told as teachers, yeah, you need to do more raps. And that's just stupid. I mean, if it's going to help, do as many raps as you like. It's kind of, no, that's not going to make it relevant. There's nothing more traumatic for a school child than to see their teacher trying to do a rap. <laughs> Could just imagine the faces of some of, some of my children when they, if, I, if I was to start start rapping in class. I think they would just all walk out. Yeah, I think that's what the. But I think that's what the idea of relevance has come down to. It's like um, years ago, as an English teacher, I remember when I was, an, uh, you know, quite new to teaching, being told to talk about football more with boys. You know, because the assumption was all boys would like football, so that makes it relevant to them. You know, and obviously we can see the flaws in that plan straight away. But at the time, it was it was presented very seriously. So relevance shouldn't be confused with dumbing down. It's it's about if we're teaching, you know, if we're teaching plastics in the ocean, then maybe what we should do to start off with is build a community living by the sea, a humble community, maybe near the equator on a small island. You know, we describe how they live their lives and so on. And suddenly their turtle population that they have looked after for generations, suddenly that population is under pressure. Then we've got it relevant. I, that's that's the kind of work I do in primary now, story building, but the knowledge and, if you like, the curriculum is absolutely wrapped up in the um, in the narrative. Mm -hmm. And it brings it to life and it brings meaning to, meaning to it. And then when they go on a holiday and they can go to the beaches, that then all that stories and imagination comes back to them. Yeah. So you also go on to write about liberating our subjects and delivering invigorated teaching. You've alluded to that a little bit, but how do we liberate our subjects and deliver that invigorated teaching across all of the contexts? I think that um, I, I, I do a bit of work on a PGCE course, and, and I, I work with PGCE, uh, Postgraduate um, Certificate of Education students at, in, in at university level and, and some of the things we talk about there is, is how to get your own stamp on what it is you're delivering so if you're a geography teacher in secondary my expectation of you is that you're going to be pretty passionate about geography you're going to have an interest in your own subject um, similarly if you are an early years practitioner then you're going to have a real interest in child development. You're going to have a real interest in how children segue from, if you like, um, play in the early years to more formal expectations as they get older. You're going to have an interest in that. What fascinates me is that teaching has become... Um, well, not everywhere, but it's a sense that teaching has become a bit of a, a catch-all um, career so that we may have some people coming in who think, oh, I can, I can teach drama because, I mean, I, I do amateur dramatics, so I'm, I'm going to be all over it. Or you're going to get some people who perhaps think that they're going to be all right teaching science because they've, 
you know, they enjoyed it themselves at school. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is coming across in the way I want it to. What I'm trying to say is if we're teachers, we need to love our subject. And we need if the curriculum isn't right, then we need to be doing stuff to try and change that. And I'm talking at an exam board level. I'm talking about getting in touch with the exam boards and saying, this, this set of poetry is okay, but actually, have you looked at this? This this is a this set of poetry would be good for for our kids. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, so I'm not I'm not pointing finger. I'm not criticising anyone. I I just think that you know when I taught English, I loved English, you know. And when I when I teach uh, when I speak about teaching, I love teaching, <laughs> you know. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it. And I, I kind of want my PGCE students to be in love with their subjects. That certainly will help them become that transformative teacher if if they love it and if they are all in, like we referred to earlier. So, can I coming back to the idea, idea in the book? How how do children learn accidentally? <laughs> well, I think that in the book, what I I suggest is that the the building of contexts can really help. Even or just the, if you know to use a secondary version of that, the building of a design brief, you know, and placing the children. In 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 the role of of people who have to find the knowledge in order to make a difference, uh, we, we we must all be finding this at the moment whilst we're in this strange uh, period of time where we're we're locked down. That we're seeing children. I'm sure most of us listening to this will will have seen our children. Um, behaving in a very responsible way taking ownership over their learning being independent being curious and so on themselves and all we've done perhaps is set some tasks and activities remotely um, that's certainly the feedback i'm getting off of people i know who were sitting in their houses setting work i've got i've got a, a 14 year old in the house now and he's being pretty responsible and he's 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 taking ownership over what he's doing and he's i've seen him be very curious about stuff i mean it's only a simple example but he, he enjoys history and he's doing history gcse and he's really worried now because of, of what he's missing but the teacher's been brilliant at setting the work and basically inspiring him from a distance by just not just giving him um, you know a, a closed question but giving him quite an open question so he's having to go and do some research you know later we're watching schindler's list um you know i, I can't say i'm really looking forward to it, but we're gonna we're gonna watch it but i really want him to see it and i'm i, I really do want him to watch it and I, I always you know i've been waiting for this time for him to, to to watch it um and um i can't wait for us to talk about it afterwards but he's genuinely genuinely interested in it all and that if you like is the accidental learning Mm -hmm. it's it's happening um it's happening because of the teacher don't get me wrong the teacher's at at the absolute center of that but it's there's something about inspiration there as well about um letting the children go the thing about creativity is in a classroom we sometimes fear it because we think we've got to let the children go but we never let go of control you know we always keep control Tommy, my son's teacher, my son's Tom, Tommy's teacher, history teacher, she's hold, she's absolutely holding on to him whilst letting him go, if, if that makes sense. It does make sense, yeah. 
well. You're doing it as well if you're setting work for your kids, um, Darren, as well. Brilliant. Um, can I, I'm going to jump back and forth to other things that you've written as well as kind of tying them into to the ideas in the book. So also going to tell you about letting them go. How do we cultivate a, a people's imagination? You, you wrote in the, in the TES in 2017 that we just need to hand over the keys to unlock a people's imagination. So why is that imagination so important? Well, I think imagination, um, if you like, it's a combination of thirst for knowledge well, the first for knowledge, actually, it's, uh, imagination can come from that what if. And, you know, if, if we didn't have imagination, then we'd be, we wouldn't be, tr you know, we wouldn't have scientists all around the world now trying to sort out this virus. You know, they, they, they need their professional imagination. Teachers need a professional imagination. And that's something that I worry about since I wrote that book, uh, since I wrote the book Oops, that's something that's been massively eroded, I feel. Um, uh, but we can talk about that uh, later. For me, in terms of pupils' imaginations, I think we should, you know, just through good questioning, we can stimulate children. Uh, you know, here's the experiment. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the outcome we should expect from this experiment? We've set all this up. What are the outcomes we would expect? What if we don't get the outcome we expect? What's changed? And, you know, all, all, that, that, that idea of imagination isn't just about dragons and dwarves and space, you know, space travel. It's actually about just basic curiosity. Why, why do houses fall in the sea? You know, what is erosion? What happens to the people who lived in those houses? Is it fair that if you live in a house that could that's on a cliff that you can't get house insurance? You know, it doesn't have to be really, really exciting otherworldly stuff. This can be just just absolute basics. Mm -hmm. We're doing it at the moment. Everyone's using their imaginations at the moment. I mean, just in my in the village I live, there's loads of people thinking about how they can help each other. That's imagination. And I think as as schools as teachers if we're going to have great communities we need we need to teach that because from imagination i guess we'll get things like empathy compassion those things will come out wonderfully summed up there and i think it's very relevant for just now and you've seen imagination some of the the creative ways that the children i'm a teacher of physical education and we're setting the children daily challenges trying to yeah. use any kind of implements in the in the house and some of the things that they're giving us back are are, are genius <laughs> and it's like i wish i had thought of that and you spoke there about about questions and questions like one of the one of the i wrote a blog about how it's one of the most important skills of a teacher so what are good questions that teachers should be asking and why should we celebrate great questions you wrote about that in in oops and, and i find that really fascinating this idea of celebrating the great questions i think that um i think that great questioning i mean i i'll tell you what what inspired me was um there was a a, a brilliant educationalist called ted rag professor ec rag and he used to write for the times ed or the tests and he used to write the sort of comment on the back pages and it'd be amusing and when i was a trainee teacher i'd read his stuff um, and I, I realised that he did a big project, um, I think, in, in Manchester around questioning, around about the same time as I was qualifying, interestingly. So I remember getting a pub the published version. I've actually got it here. 
um, I've got I've got the book here because it's such a it is an important book to me. It's, it's just uh, George Brown and EC Rag. It's just called Questioning. It's quite an old book. You could probably get it on Amazon now for three pence or something because it's an old book, but it's good. And it's it's one of those books that says to the teacher, things have changed. This is in 1992, right? And it's saying things have changed. Classrooms are about dialogue. Now, I, I, I think now in 2020, when I see some of the stuff that's going on in some schools, <laughs> classrooms in some schools, they're just not about dialogue whatsoever. They are very much about an adult at the front being quite, I'm sure a good person, but just delivering quite coldly. And I'm exploring this in my in, in the book I'm writing at the moment, this idea of cold and warm. Botheredness is warm. EC Rag, Ted Rag talking about questioning is about warmth. It's about um, asking questions of children. Yes, to get the right answer, but also... If you get the wrong answer, doing something with it. There's nothing new in that, Darren. We've mm-hmm. been talking about that for years. And, you know, there's, there's, been, there's a lot out there about great questioning. Uh, Morgan and Saxton wrote a great book about questioning called Asking Better Questions. And that was, that was quite an influence on me when I, when I did some further study. But questioning to me is about building voice um, and not just pupil voice in a school council kind of way, but that's that's a great thing. But building student voice to get them articulate and confident around your subject, getting them, and that that builds botheredness. If a kid can comment on why why we should sort out plastics in the ocean, then you've done your job. And I think as a teacher, you can sleep well at night. I think that's a great advert for for questions in in this idea of classroom dialogue because we want our children to be. Articular. So I read a great book just recently about how a, a science teacher was complaining that the children can't write scientifically, but then they were never exposed to it. They were never chatting about it. So of course they couldn't. No, no, they're, not, they're just not going to be able to. I mean, if you want kids to write as uh, you know from a point of subject expertise, they need to be able to talk about it. I mean, that comes to, that's that's basic. That bit. but yeah, I'm sure you can. Probably we can probably find other people who won't agree with that. <laughs> we can definitely find the cold. Um, can I to spin that on its head? You wrote in the Tez in December 2019. Was it wasn't actually that long ago that oh. silence is indeed golden. What does this look like in a classroom? Uh, that was a, a comment about a moment, a moment in a classroom where. Um, We'd, we'd used a narrative with the kids were studying um, Vikings and we basically had done the Viking invasion of Lindisfarne um, and it was, we just created a moment where, and this was a visual moment where a Viking is standing over a monk and the monk is clutching something precious from inside the monastery and it was just silent and the kids just had to look at it and take it in. I was describing, you know, and the kids, some of the kids joined in what the Viking was wearing. Then we looked at the emotional impact and what was going on in this moment between these two figures. Now, quite easily, I could have probably drawn that on a whiteboard, but I just used two kids. Or maybe I was the Viking. I can't quite remember now. I, I was the Viking at one point, but it's not it wasn't theatre and it wasn't play. 
but it was play and it was theatre, if that makes sense. It was that sense of dramatic silence. And what that silence enabled was thinking, was reflection, was questions, you know. And then, you know, and then we just sort of unpicked the moments. In drama, we'd call that marking the moments. It's the moment in a, if, it, it, when the Pied Piper is refused payment by the Burgermeister. And you just know that the Pied Piper is just thinking, right, I'm coming for your kids. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So in terms of silence, it's not. I'm not coming from a behaviour point of view with that at all. But I'll say this, I like it when it's quiet. But I'm not a fan of um, this idea around silent corridors and... You know, I, I think we, we, we could be in danger of uh, schools being transformed into factories. But I'm sure, I mean, I'm happy to, to listen to the other side of that. Certainly, but that, can I, I, going back to what we said earlier, that doesn't go doesn't translate into a, a buzzing school curriculum. But that's, we can all have our own opinions on, on the, the ideas around silent corridors and silent classrooms. Um, it's kind of, kind of catching on to that kind of idea and summing all that kind of strategies up. Why are having clear expectations absolutely vital for learning in our classrooms? Because uh, learn, learning won't happen without them, I don't think. I think we, uh, it's, it's, it's all the stuff we, 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 we learn when we're training, hopefully. It's all the stuff we learn when we're on practice, when we're, we've, you know, I, I've, I've had a, a, a colleague, a PGCE trainee colleague come to me and say, Howell, have you got, a, have you got an A4 sheet about behaviour? Because he had a tough class, and I went, "Do you know what, Andy? I probably I've got an A4 sheet about behaviour, but the best thing you can do is go and tackle that class, you know, and learn about the the the, the things that are going on in your school to tackle behaviour. Um, if you if there's an issue in your class, now he was a drama teacher, so getting the kids to sit in a seating plan won't work for him. So he's got to think of other strategies, and I can help him with that, but." The key thing is having expectations. Well, the way I've, I've started saying it is you've got a mean business. You've got a mean business, but you don't have to be mean. I like that. Some of you've got a mean business, but you, you don't have to be mean. But having that clear expectations and making sure that everyone's aware of them will definitely allow learning to happen. That Then from that, you can then the children can can explore their own imaginations and their own thinking and kind of some of what we've been talking about. Um, just a, a word on technology now. You wrote a great bit in your book about technology. Uh, why should we not let technology do the work for teachers? It's obviously very interesting for a time like now when technology is doing a lot a lot of the work. But what what technology do you use when you're in class and, and how do you how do you make it work for you? Well, I, 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 to be honest, I, I, I mean, just, just a, a caveat here. Technology is ace, you know, and without the technology um i'd be really struggling now um you know i can i can genuinely say to you that my diary cleared out because i'm face to face me I, I go into schools i'll go into classrooms I'm, I'm human touched you know what i mean and that's i mean that's what i write about in the book it's about being the human app if you like we are it um but you know we we respond to the times we're in technology at the moment is brilliant you know and if it's helpful it's just chuffing great i absolutely love it what what i warn people about is don't let technology be a fig leaf you know it shouldn't be a fig leaf covering up um poor practice 
does that make sense? Yes. I mean, I, I worry if, uh, you know, one of my, again, one of my trainees um, last year actually came to me and said they didn't have to worry about planning because everything had been given to them on a PowerPoint. And I just said, well, that's great, but you're still in the room. <laughs> you know, it's all right having a PowerPoint, but you're still in the room. And you've got to make sure that the PowerPoint, you're not believing that the PowerPoint is going to do the job for you. Teaching is teaching. Tech is tech. Tech is brilliant. But so is teaching. Um, <laughs> I think that um, we've just got to be careful that, um, that the technology doesn't replace great practice. Because ultimately, we know where that ends. We won't need teachers. Exactly. Um, you know, but 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 I don't want to. I'm not a luddite. I'm not a luddite at all. I, I love it, and you know we're doing this now. I've been, I've had, you know, two weeks ago I'd heard about Zoom, but now I'm a full-on expert. You know, it's it's a, it's a great way of doing this, and it's it, you know we've discovered, haven't we, that technology is absolutely vital to well-being, and it's really interesting. What I've seen that's really interesting is a lot of the naysayers around technology and learning. They've shut up. They've shut up because actually people are seeing the value in it. Mm -hmm. If if you well and definitely in a time right now when all our learning's online. But I think it's important also there to. I definitely believe that we shouldn't we shouldn't have too much technology in our classrooms and let that take over because you talk about being the human app and the and the, and the human touch. And even though we are doing online online teaching. We've experimented with with the children still seeing our face and still being being lectured and asked questions, but through a different different platform that they can then pause and reflect. So it's important that the, the teacher, the person, is still the main the main important yeah. important part because the, the teacher teachers are the most valuable resource in our schools. Yeah, that that that's that's basically it. That's it. You've summed it up better than me. That that's essentially it. But and I'll say it again: tech is ace. Certainly. It's, it's ace, yeah. When I'm going in a class, uh, sometimes it's quite a you know, I'm putting in a lot of, uh, we're doing a lot of different classes in a day, so I haven't got time to set up some uh, great wiggity wiggity whack technology. Sometimes I'll go in with um, a, a barrel um, whiteboard pen. <laughs> <laughs> Post-it notes, you know that that's about it. it does the business just to, just to just to sum that up, Howell? Um, you wrote in the, in the book that it's all well and good having tools and strategies for teachers, like what we've just been talking about, but the only work of the teachers up for it, like we were talking about earlier on. So, what do you, what do you mean by that, and why is it important? Uh, well, I think I mean it, it's the problem with writing books in some ways. Um, when I wrote the Oops book. There, there was education books out there, but there, there weren't, weren't as many as there are now. You know, there's a lot out there now. So if you're a teacher or you're thinking of teaching, you've got a whole buffet of books to choose from. And you can actually find, you know, you'll find books that speak to you. You'll find books that you might not agree with and, and, and so on. I mean, ultimately, we want help. As teachers, we want help. You know, if when I, uh, you know, I remember going first, working in, in, in the pupil referral unit in a special school, SEMH school, social emotional mental health school. When I, when I first went there, I was not an expert at all around learning in that environment. I learned a lot working in the classroom side by side with teachers who knew miles more than me. But what I went in with 
with some tools and strategies around delivery. I went in with pedagogy, which is what they didn't have. A lot of what they had was, um, you know, worksheets. And this is with the greatest respect to those teachers because they were right cutting edge, if you like. They were they were at the hard edge of, of stuff. So they had stuff that was easy to manage and easy to deliver. But it didn't always work, which is why I went in there. And so, if you like, there was a bit of a strategy swap going on, <laughs> you know, at the time. And what it was was mutually respect, respectful. Um, and I hope that's what comes across in my work. It's nice to be, you know, to talk to rooms full of people and be invited to do so. But I, I do from a point of view of, of, of being quite humble about it, I, I hope. And um, I absolutely respect those people, um, many of your listeners now, who will be working at the at the hard edge of it all. I've got strategies, I've got tools, and I'm, I'm happy to share with them, but I'm really happy to listen as well. Excellent. Now, before we, uh, we sum up and move on to my final three questions, um, could you share a little bit about what you're up to now? Because you mentioned earlier that you're writing a book about botherness, and you also mentioned a little bit about... Um, your plans for the 10-year anniversary of Oops. Yeah, um, well, I, I mean, at the moment, as I said, my diary emptied somewhat. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when, as I'm sure everyone is, when normality hits. But I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing how things might be different as well. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how things uh, might have moved on a little bit in terms of how we teach, how we learn and importantly and this comes from some conversations I've had with some head teachers what examinations look like because we've just basically binned a full year group of exams and said now nah, we'll listen to the teachers and what the teachers think and I think that's great for teachers so uh, it'd be quite interesting once the dust has settled which I really really genuinely hope it does soon um, it'll be interesting to have those conversations then about what next I mean for me I've, I'm, I am writing a book called botheredness and I'm very grateful to people who've um, sort of taken that word for themselves in a sense and started using it and reflecting on it um, I know uh, Paul Dix who, who wrote a brilliant book uh, last year uh, when the adults change he, he, he sort of quoted it in his book and I think that's what sort of spurred me on a little bit to thinking actually there's something in this um, so I'm on with that at the moment I'm also doing um, quite a bit of work with um, my good friend, uh, Dr. Deborah Kidd. We wrote a book a couple of years ago called Advent um, Uncharted Territories, Adventures in Learning, um, taking 10, if you like, settings and finding all the learning that could potentially happen there. So we're looking at a follow-up to that um, based on 10 uh, folk tales, fairy tales. Um, and also... Um, I'm just I'm just cracking on really. I, I do want to do a 10-year anniversary of Oops, where basically I'll get the original text and I'll go through it with the traditional red pen, and I'll just describe how my thinking has moved on, and also try and explain myself in a more articulate way than I could at that time. But do you know what the themes of the book and what the book stands for i absolutely still stand for and i'll 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 stand by forever um it's just that you know there's some bits that i'd like to to perhaps expand on so i'm looking at doing that and also i'm i'm looking at um 
getting the the oops book as uh, recorded as an audible book and if that comes from a few people saying they'd like to hear me read it so I'm really, really, really up for that, Darren. I'm telling you. I think I would listen back just to hear you, hear you <laughs> speak it in, in in the way that you, the way that you do so eloquently. Um, so before we move on to our final three, where can can listeners find out a little bit more about you, contact you, buy your books, or or hear you speak, etc. Well, I've got um, I've got a, a website that. Um, do my best to maintain i'm not a blogger and um, very i'm not a blogger really or anything like that but um i've got me um it's create learn inspire.co.uk create learn inspire.co.uk i wish i'd come up with a, a a shorter one but that's what i came up with back in the day um but that's my website and um, my books i'm easy to find on amazon and in terms of what i'm up to and and being in touch then um on the Twitter, I'm Howell underscore Roberts, and on the Facebook, I'm Create, Learn, Inspire Howell Roberts. So I'm pretty easy to get in touch with, to be honest. I've been blessed with a, an unusual Welsh name, and uh, so it's quite easy for people to find me. So I feel quite lucky with that. So I'm, I'm always about, and I'm always travelling uh, when we're not under lockdown. This. Is- really been quite strange for me it's lovely as well to be quite honest i'm quite enjoying being at home but uh, i'm also in the tests as well i write a um a story in the tests um online if you just go to that site and if you just put my name in you'll get lots of my stories about what happens in class there tales of a traveling teacher Excellent. No, I was uh, I was gutted that I didn't get to hear you speak because you were due to speak at the the Step Conference in, in Stirling in Scotland, and I was thoroughly looking forward to that. But but sadly, obviously, both had to cancel yeah. that. So hopefully, I do get the opportunity at some point to hear you speak and come up to Scotland again. Um, moving on to to my final three now questions that I've asked every guest. Um, so the first one in that is what book or text has had the biggest impact in your career? Now I'm going to cheat, Darren. I've got two. Yeah, you're not the only one, Hill. Is that all right? But I thought of loads. but um, And there was also people as well, but I'm not going to go into that. But I've got to mention, because you mentioned the STEP conference, um, the real David Cameron, who is um, who has done so much for me over the last few years, uh, getting my, if you like, my ideas to a bigger network and I think it's because of him that we're talking because he he'd, he'd, he was involved with the step conference as well real David Cameron is, is, is definitely a, I've got a, my one of my I think my fifth podcast that I released a while back was is, is an hour-long chat with David Cameron around Scottish education so if anyone would like to listen to that then that's currently available on Apple and Spotify you would you wouldn't have been able to get a word in um, so the, the two books I, I'll be quick on this the first one is um, Ian Gilbert, who you mentioned earlier, who edited the Oops book. Uh, he's, he's held my, he held my hand a lot uh, through writing the book. Um, and um, he wrote a book that I read when I was a full-time teacher called Essential Motivation in the Classroom. Um, and I read it, and it, it just really sang to me. I, I got a budget to to do CPD with my staff at my school and I just bought everyone a copy which at the time felt like a really subversive act it was like 
no, we're not going to a hotel for a nice inset morning. You're just going to get a book and then we're all going to talk about it. It was quite... Uh, it was just a great book and it really got me thinking about... Um, it really spoke to me as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a full-time teacher at the time. And the other book I just wanted to mention was uh, a book that I've carried with me all my life, which is uh, A Kestrel for a Knave by Barry Hines, which... Um, I found myself teaching in the town where it was set, just down the road from where Barry Hines taught himself, um, Kestrel for a Knave. So some of your listeners will be familiar with that. So those books, those texts had a big influence on me. I could name others. Uh, Thank you. They're not the only one. I think most people have have struggled with with that, narrowing it it down, Um, because most people I come on seem to be avid readers, which is brilliant. so second question, if you could give just one bit of advice to a teacher, what would it be? Well, as well as seeking success as a teacher, seek success as being a human. What do you mean by that? I mean being a, a, per, a good person, a good adult, um, an informed, um, warm person that kids are going to that kids are going to want to be with. It's the radiator. It's be the radiator. Uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> be the radiator. I love that. Um, and my, fi- my final question. My final question that really fascinates me, and I'm getting such varied answers. It's, it's truly wonderful. Is what do you think gets in the way most of of great teaching and learning in our classrooms? Well, interestingly, I think it has been a lot. Um, well, I've had to really think about this, and I have found this difficult, but I think suddenly where we are now, and I've no idea when this podcast is going out, but where we are now, suddenly we're all trusting teachers. Suddenly parents have fallen in love with teachers. Um, suddenly communities are realising the jobs that teachers do stretch beyond printing off a worksheet Um, so I think actually perceptions of teaching uh, will have shifted and that's one of the changes I hope to see so that actually the best advert for this profession perhaps is what's happening now Uh, we need great people to become teachers and I wonder if out there in our communities now some people are thinking wow this, you know, this, th- there's something happening in schools that's really exciting and interesting, and I want to be part of that. Be it as going in as a TA or a volunteer, or actually getting on a training course to teach. But what gets in the way of teaching and learning? I think it has been a lack of trust, a lack of autonomy. Um, I think there has been. I mean, I mentioned earlier. You know, someone being given a PowerPoint with all the plan, all the delivery on there. What what what's got in the way there? Well, it's the lack of professional imagination. You know, um, I've got to teach this poem. I can get on a website, I'll download that PowerPoint. That's me teaching that poem. But as well as teaching poetry, what I want to do is inspire a love of poetry, and that's really hard. You know, that's really hard, and there isn't a PowerPoint that's going to do that. I've got to do that. So no matter what your discipline or what age you teach of kids, that's got to be your starting point. 
It's wonderful how I would like to take this opportunity now just to, to thank you so so much for giving me giving me over an hour of your time today to <laughs> chat for the Becoming Educated podcast. Uh, so thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure, mate, and thank you, Darren, for this lovely opportunity. And, and go well, go well, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Educated podcast. Until next time, teach with joy.